You're listening to TIP. Hey, how's everyone doing this week? So this week we had the opportunity to read an incredible book that might have been one of my favorite books of 2017. And the book was by Jaw Jang, and it's titled Rejection Proof. So when Stig and I were thinking about a common theme that can be found with all these billionaires that we study, a common discussion point that constantly came up was this idea of being able to overcome rejection. Or in other words, you can maybe say, how can a person stay persistent and continue to press on even after hearing no so many times? For example, here's a couple quotes from some famous billionaires. So Richard Branson has said, do not be embarrassed by your failures, learn from them and start again. This one's really funny. Jack Ma says, when KFC came to China, 24 people went for the job. 23 people accepted the job. I was the only guy who didn't get taken. And then there's John Paul DeJorier, and he's the founder of Paul Mitchell. And he said, be prepared for rejection, no matter how bad it is. Don't let it overcome you or influence you. Now, when people hear that kind of stuff, it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But then how do you actually put that into application? When you hear that, it just sounds so cliche. But that's where our podcast today is going to come in. And so I've never personally read a book that covers this topic so well. In fact, the author, Jia Jiang, was personally selected by billionaire Tony Shea to deliver a keynote speech at Zappos to all the employees about being rejection-proof. It's just such a unique book. And not only does he have a lot of good stories, like the time he went up to ask for a burger refill, you know, <laughs> you would get a refill of your soda. Like, you can also get a burger refill. And he was turned down for that. Not only did he had a lot of hilarious rejections, but he also gives people a lot of good takeaways that you can actually use in your personal life. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And the title of the book, again, is Rejection Proof, and we're ready to do this. You are listening to The Investor's Podcast, where we study the financial markets and read the books that influence self-made billionaires the most. We keep you informed and prepared for the unexpected. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, kick off this episode. Stig, I'm real curious. What did you think of this book? Because I really, really liked this book. I think the book was really funny, and that was not what I expected at all whenever I started reading this book, because after all, this book is about rejections and who thinks that rejections are funny. But the way that he goes about getting rejections and the silly and really inspiring stories he came up with to get the funniest rejections, if you can put it like that, I really like that. And also, I think it was amazing to see rejections being covered from this perspective. Yeah, I was a little hesitant to even do this as an episode whenever I saw the book. I didn't know if this was something I was going to want to do because I figured it was going to be a little dark and gloomy. And <laughs> it was literally the exact opposite of that. It was actually one of the funnier books I've read in a long time. So what we're going to do for this episode, we're just going to kind of walk you through the story. We're going to tell you from beginning to end, Jia Jang's story that he has here. So the book starts off with his dissatisfaction with where he was at in his life. And he was a marketing director for a Fortune 500 company. And he just was not happy. He just felt like, you know, I'm just another cog in the wheel of this big machine of this company that I'm working for. And I'm not really changing the world or doing anything 
that's all that inspiring. And he talks about his background and before he got to this point in his life where he was doing quite well for himself, where he was this young boy and at age 13, I guess Bill Gates came to his hometown in Beijing, China. And he was so inspired by this visit by Bill Gates that he had made this pledge. He literally wrote this letter to his parents at age 13, basically saying, by the time I'm age 30, I'm going to buy Microsoft. I'm going to own the biggest company in the world and all this stuff that was going to be very inspiring. Fast forward to where he's at now working as you know this marketing director. And he was just like, what happened to that boy? Like, what am I doing here? I need to be an entrepreneur. I need to go off and do these inspiring things in my life. And that's kind of how he starts off the book. And the reason he wasn't doing that stuff is because he was scared and had all this fear of rejection. I just wanted to piggyback on what you said here at the end that, I mean, that was the reason why he didn't start a company. And it was not like because he was lacking ideas. He had a ton of ideas. He had a ton of drive. He was really well connected. It was not a problem about that at all. It was basically because every time he pitched an idea, whether it was to a family member or perhaps to a future client, you know, someone would typically say no, which is what happens whenever you're an entrepreneur, you get to meet a lot of no's. So he had a long chat with his wife, Tracy, about this, and she could see that he was miserable at his job. So even though she was practicing with the first child, she actually asked him to take six months off to start a company and really to follow that dream. He actually came up with an app of how to keep promises. It's not super important to the story, but it actually sounded really funny. That was kind of like his, his business idea and it worked out pretty well. He had a team around him and after four months, they actually had this really important meeting with this investor and it was really a make it or break it pitch. Like if they could convince this investor, they would get enough money to like keep doing this for years and really get this app out in the world. And you probably guess what already happened. He was rejected. You know, he was just ready to quit. He spent four months on this. He had no drive left and he was just so discouraged. So what happened was that his wife told him that, you know, he only spent four months. He still have two months to figure out what to do with his life and perhaps to start a new company. And that's really when the book gets exciting. So I got to applaud his wife because how many wives would say, okay, you got six months to do this. And then after four months, he just totally fails and falls on his face trying to build an app. And, you know, most wives would be saying, you need to get back to work and start making some money, dude. And that's not what his wife said. She's like, yeah, well, you got two more months left. What in the world are you doing, man? Come on, let's see you make this company. <laughs> so I love that. So he goes out there and he realizes at this point, after this next failure, that every time he's confronted with this no decision, like he just got back from this investor that said, no, I'm not going to invest in your app. And sorry, dude, I don't have anything else for you. So he's getting these rejections and he just doesn't know how to handle this. The fear is building every one of these scenarios. He does a great job describing how he feels during these scenarios in his life. And so he starts researching online like anyone would do, like, how do I overcome this fear of rejection? And he reads this post from some random person on the internet that says, sometimes the best medicine for rejection is just to go out and ask people if you can do some crazy things for them, where you're just guaranteed to get a no, that you're going to get rejected so that you can experience what it's like to be rejected more often. And you basically become desensitized to it. 
And so not only does he decide to actually action this, this idea that this guy has to go out and get rejected a bunch of times so you're desensitized, but he decides to document it on video and then upload the videos onto YouTube with no audience, no following, no nothing. You know, like he just, he's going to create a blog about being rejected and he's going to do this a bunch of times. So he goes out and do you remember what the first one was? I don't even remember what the first one was. What was it, Steve? Yeah, the first one was to ask a random person if he could borrow $100. He was pretty sure that he would be rejected if he did that. Yeah. So he's walking out of this office space when he was building the apps. And he passes the janitorial person who's there at the front of the building. And he's like working up all this courage to ask. And, you know, just he's just hoping that he says no so he can hurry up and get out of there. So he asks him, can I have $100? And the guy says, you know, just looks at him and is like, no. And then he just like ran away and like that was it. And so he had this on video, which was really neat because he talks about because I had it on video, I could watch and see like the fear in my face. And like he was studying himself of like, why am I so scared of this? And he's looking at how the other person's reacting and he's like watching the whole experience over again. And the thing that he learned after this first scenario was why did I run away so fast? Like, why didn't I just stick around and ask him more questions or try to maybe massage it a different way to maybe get to yes? But he's just like, he just up and ran out the door. Whenever he watched the tape afterwards, he actually discovered that the person he was asking, he was asking why. He actually gave him a chance to alter his opinion. Like this stranger comes and, you know, asks me for a hundred bucks. There might be an emergency or something like that. But he said, no, because you typically won't give out $100 to a stranger. But he still, again, gave him a reason to elaborate on that. But he didn't hear that. He didn't even hear that because he just wanted to get his no and he just wanted to get out of there. That was a really interesting discovery for him. Yeah. So let's fast forward. So he goes to his third one that he did. And so he's on a journey to do 100 of these and blog the whole thing. And so the third one that he did, he was going to go to a Krispy Kreme and he was going to ask the uh, manager of a Krispy Kreme if they could arrange some donuts in a box in the shape of the Olympic symbol, you know, like the five circles with the various colors. (laughs) (laughs) So in in his mind, he's like, this is a no brainer. There's no way they're ever going to do this. So let me go ask them. So he goes up and he's like video in this. And he asked the manager, he said, hello, can you build me some donuts in the shape of the Olympic symbol? And the manager, I think her name was, was her name Jackie? I can't remember. Yeah. Jackie. Okay. So Jackie looks at him and she's like, well, um," and she's like contemplating it, you know, and I've watched this video since uh, reading the book. And Stig, did you watch the video? I'm just curious. Yeah, I watched the video. <laughs> we'll definitely put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. We'll find some of these videos and we'll put them in the show notes. So if you guys want to watch this stuff, go to our show notes. It'll all be in there. So I watched the video and she's just there. You can see she's just like contemplating like, uh, well, yeah, may- maybe I could do that. You know, <laughs> she just didn't say no. And so he's just kind of flabbergasted at this point. Like he just cannot believe that somebody's about to do this and they're actually going to say yes. And so it takes them like 15 minutes or something and they're back there and they make the donuts and they bring them to him and he's like looking at the donuts and they're literally arranged in this Olympic symbol with all the right colors and everything. And he just is blown away. Like this moment was totally life altering for him. 
because he realized like sometimes you're going to get a yes, even if it's a crazy request. And like, there's people out there that are good people that are just genuinely trying to help you. And so this was such a game changer for him at this point because he went in there fully expecting a no and he got exactly the opposite of what he expected. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit light driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously, and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like, what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. The Holy Grail of Investing, the new book by Tony Robbins and co-written by investing legend Christopher Zook, reveals the secrets of alternative investments like private equity, venture capital, energy, real estate, sports franchises, and more. It features exclusive insights from investing titans who collectively manage more than $500 billion, including Robert F. Smith, Vinod Kosla, Michael B. Kim, and many others. In the holy grail of investing, you'll discover how to take advantage of the trillions flowing into private equity by becoming an owner of firms that actually manage the assets and share in the revenue they generate, how to take advantage of the two to three times higher returns of private credit as an alternative or complement to bonds, how to invest in the energy evolution and ride the wave of trillions in global investments, how investments in private real estate can work as an inflationary hedge and source of tax-efficient income, and how many of the world's greatest investors thrive in both good times and bad. The Holy Grail of Investing by Tony Robbins is available now wherever books are sold. All right, back to the show. It was even better than that, Preston. As far as I remember it, she actually gave it to him for free. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because it was just a, a good experience for her. Whenever you watch the video, it's just like an emotional video because you like, you just become so happy of like seeing these two people that don't know each other helping each other out and like, He's just so relieved that he's actually getting yes. And she's just so happy that she can you know, meet his somewhat odd request. And the best thing, I guess, is that this video went viral. I mean, the following days, like millions and millions of views. And 
I think he was even interviewed for TV. She was too. Yeah. So let's rewind real fast. So he quits his job, which was a high paying job. So I don't know what lifestyle they had, but I'm sure that they were living decently working for a Fortune 500 company. So he quits that. He then takes whatever savings he has and builds this team. He had office space. He's building this team around making an app on iTunes, you know, (laughs) for four months. He's spending through all those dollars and he gets denied and that falls flat on face. Now he's going to start a blog about rejection. He has zero followers. And on the third video he uploads, this thing goes viral and he's getting on all sorts of TV shows and everyone wants to find out what in the world is this and why did this lady make these out of just pure human kindness make these things. And that was his start. And that's what gave him this whole platform. And now that's his entire job is talking about being rejection proof. And he's got this book, which is, you know, top selling business book, bestseller on Amazon. So man, what a change one little thing can make. And he did it by trying to discover his fear and understand what it was that was driving him to have this fear. And what an amazing journey. So now as we go through the rest of the book, he provides many more stories. So let me give you an example of another story in the book. He goes up to some random guy's house. This was in Texas and the Dallas Cowboys are playing. And literally the gentleman comes to the door and he rings some random person's door, fully expecting to get a no. And he has his soccer cleats with him and a soccer ball. And he says, excuse me, can I play soccer in your backyard? And can you videotape me doing it? You know, no, I know what I would say if somebody came to my house and said that I'd say, get the hell out of here. But that's not the response he actually got from this gentleman. And he has this stuff on video. So the guy said, uh, yeah, and he brings him in and he literally let him go in his backyard, kick a soccer ball around and he videotaped him. He had no clue who this guy was. And so he's going back to Stig's point after that very first encounter where the guy was asking why. Whenever he started getting rejected, he came up with this approach of trying to understand why he was rejected. And this was a very liberating part of becoming rejection proof is because when you ask that why, it puts to bed all of those thoughts that are running around in your head of why you thought the person rejected you and why they said no. Because what he found was that most of the time, whatever he thought the reason was, he was wrong. And whenever he understood why people were saying no, then he could adjust his approach and try the same experiment over again. Like if he was told no, well, the perfect example is, let me give you this other one. So he goes and says that he's going to plant, uh, was it a flower or like a bush or something? He's going to plant a flower in a person's yard. He's just going to go up, ring the doorbell and say, can I please plant this flower in your yard? And so he goes up to the first person and he asks this person, can I plant a flower in your yard? And the person says, no, you can't. And he says, well, sir, can I ask you why? Because I'm not charging anything. I'm doing this for free. It's just a nice, kind act. And the gentleman says, my dog will come up and eat the flowers off, and I don't want him to do that. So that's the reason why I said no. And he said, not only that, but you know, the girl right across the street, she really likes flowers. Why don't you go over and ask her? I guarantee you she'll let you plant this in her yard. And so what's he do? He walks across the street. He rings the doorbell. He asks the girl, can I plant flowers in your yard? And she says, absolutely. I would love that. And so by him asking the question, why, at the end of the rejection, turned out to be just a monumental change 
in the way that he understood what was happening because now he would have walked away from that gentleman's house and been like, you know, it must have been the way I looked or the clothes I was wearing or I'm just weird or any of those things is what a common person would think. I know myself personally, that would have been one of the last reasons I would have thought that a person would say, no, I don't want a flower plant in my yard. It's because the dog would come out and eat the petals. You know, I would have never thought that, but you don't know that until you ask the question. And that was a major learning point, a big turning point for him. I really like that you bring that up. He actually experienced that somewhat later with Southwest Airlines. Because one thing was to get a rejection from, you know, one person, a sales clerk or um, knocking on some people's door. As unpleasant as it might be, he had this idea that it's probably a lot more unpleasant to be rejected in front of hundreds of people. So actually what he did was he asked the steward at Southwest Airlines if he could read the safety announcement. And he was told, no. And then as Preston just mentioned, he immediately asked, I don't want to be disrespectful in any way, but sir, can I please ask why I can't read the safety announcement? And so the steward says, it's actually required by law that it's someone who is trained that will do that. But what I can't do for you is to give you the chance to say welcome to the passengers, because that's not required by law for a trained person to do so. So he actually did that. And he just needed to come up with something fast and realistic thinking on his feet. And he just said, you know, welcome to Southwest Airlines. I really like flying with this airline because the staff is always so friendly and always get good food when I'm traveling this company. So why don't we just all applaud the staff? And it actually turned out to be a really, really good experience, not just for him and for the staff, but also for the passengers. And none of that would have happened if he didn't ask why. The thing is that rejection that we're talking about now should not be confused with failure. And it seems like, especially if you're an entrepreneur, it seems like a lot of failures, it's almost like a batch of honor for a lot of people. Like, oh, I failed a lot. And like, you hear all these inspirational quotes from these billionaires about you should just fail and you should just fail upwards, meaning you should just you know, improve yourself whenever time you make a mistake. And I think all of that is definitely true. And I think there's a lot of good things to say about that. But it's sort of like rejection is somewhat different. If it's a rejection, it's tied to your personality one way or the other, or your culture, your looks, basically everything. And that's really also relates back to what you said before, Preston, about if he just had taken your no and face value, he'll be like, is it the way I look? Is it the way I talk? Like, it's probably why I was rejected. But not at all. It was because of a dog. So there's a bunch of examples that he talks about. And what we're going to do is at the end, we're going to cover what we think are some of the real big points that were learned from these hundred scenarios where he was rejected and where he was actually given the things that he had asked for. Something that was interesting as you kind of go through these hundred rejections that he kind of talks about, he doesn't talk about every one of them in the book, if you're wondering, he talks about kind of the more entertaining ones. But he talks about this journey that he has and the things that he's learning along the way. And one of the key things that I kind of picked apart from this was the mindset, the way that he kind of approached things. He started to actually have fun with some of this stuff, even though he fully knew that he was going to be rejected. He started having a positive mindset in the way that he was approaching this. He'd go up, he'd ask the question. Early on, it was like this big emotional thing. And then it kind of shifted to, let me ask the question and then let me see how I can kind of maneuver from that point. How can I take advantage of whatever the opportunities present itself? after the question is asked, that really became quite interesting. He gave this amazing 
scenario, this amazing encounter in his life. And when he was at Duke University, he talks about an individual that he had met there that he was very inspired by. And the individual's name is Scott Smiley. And Scott Smiley went to school with him there, but Scott was on a hiatus from the army. He was a military officer. He still is a military officer. And Scott Smiley, in 2005, he lost his vision when a suicide car bomber blew himself up 30 meters from where Scott's striker vehicle was at. So Scott is blind. And what he found was that although Scott was blind and could have taken this very negative vantage point on life, actually the exact opposite has happened. So Scott, since that event, has surfed in Hawaii. He's skied Vail. He's skydived. He's climbed Mount Rainier. He completed a triathlon. He's graduated from Duke University with his MBA. He has won an ESPY award for best outdoor athlete. And this is what I'm so excited to say here on the podcast. I am really good friends with Scott Smiley. In fact, Scott Smiley and myself, we both went to West Point together. We're classmates. And when I first showed up at West Point, they put you through this thing called Beast Barracks. And it's your first summer there where it's just miserable and horrible. And what they do is they put everyone that shows up into a squad. And the squads are usually about eight to nine people. And for that first summer, I was in the same squad with you know seven other people with Scott Smiley. And so I knew Scott before any of this happened. And I can tell you, Scott Smiley is such an incredible person. And he was such an incredible person before this event ever happened. And I can honestly say, I am so humbled and honored to know him. And whenever I was reading this book and he was mentioned, I was just so deeply honored. Just to quickly help promote Scott's stuff. And so Scott has a book. The name of the book is Hope Unseen. And it talks about this entire journey. And most importantly, it talks about how you can take a positive spin and accomplish just enormous things in your life, even after it might feel like you know the whole world has just flipped against you. And so just a classic example of what he's talking about by going through all this rejection and all these examples. And I'm so happy that he brought up Scott Smiley because his story and his book is so phenomenal. I can't help promote that enough. And we'll have some pictures of Scott and some things about that also in our show notes if people are interested in checking that out. But huge shout out for Jaw Jang to mention Scott in the book. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com WSB. That's fundrise.com WSB. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with a high-yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood. 
a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Ally, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high-yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA slash SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify dot com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. Wow. Thank you so much, Preston, for telling that personal story about Scott. That's definitely uh, very inspiring. So this part of time in the show, let's jump to the very end of the book, where there's this really touching story about what you would like to do for his final and epic rejection. So please go ahead, Preston. All right. So at this point, he had a pretty big blog platform. He had a lot of people following him and people were trying to make his hundredth thing very huge. And so they wanted him to try to interview Obama, you know, all these different things that are probably pretty easy to ask and get rejected on. But where it came back to was he wanted to do something that wasn't necessarily a crowd pleaser or something that was for everyone else. He wanted to do something that was really personal to him. And it was all about his wife who gave him the opportunity to keep going on and discovering this hidden talent that he had with blogging and capturing an audience. And so He asked his wife a simple question. He said, if you could work anywhere, where would it be? And so his wife responded and she says, well, that's pretty easy. I would like to work for Google. And so he's like, oh, okay, well then let's make that our last rejection challenge and we can try to get you a job at Google. And if it's successful, then you just won your dream job. And so he set aside six months 
to pull this off and that they were going to be persistent. They were going to continue to try to pull this off to get her hired at Google. And, you know, this is such a great story. So they start off and they start networking. And what they did is they said, what are the things that we control? What is in our control in order to make this happen? And they started listing the things out. They're saying, well, we can network. We can shine up your resume. We can do all these things. And they listed out the things that they controlled. Then they said, well, what is it that we don't control? And they said, well, we can't control whether somebody says yes or no. We can't control how many people are willing to take an interview. And they listed out all those things. And then as they went down this journey and they were trying to achieve this thing of getting hired at Google. And just so you guys know, in the book, he says getting hired at Google is 200 times harder than getting into Harvard just to kind of give people an idea of like how difficult this is to get hired at Google. Extremely difficult. So they started going down this path. They started getting a lot of rejections. They did start meeting a lot of people that got her interviews and they went through all of this. And every time that they came upon yet another rejection, they said, okay, was this one of the things that we could control? Is this one of the things that we can improve upon? Or is this something that's completely out of our control? And when it was something that they could improve, they did. They worked towards fine-tuning that, and they asked the questions, why? How can I fix this? What is in control here? So they continued to optimize is really what they were doing, and they didn't let any rejection get in their way. At the end, she sat down. She actually got flown out to Silicon Valley. This is probably like, I don't know, five rejections later. She finally got somebody that says, well, we're interested in interviewing you. They flew her out to Silicon Valley. She sat down. She had the interview. She came back. She said, I think that went really well. And as people might suspect, she got the call and the call said, we're sorry, we're not going to take you. And so her response back to that was, you know, she was disappointed, but you know what? Hey, no problem. I really appreciate the time that you guys offered. I really appreciate the interview and I'm humbled to be here and just took it really well. Well, lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, she gets another call back and it's Google. And they said, you know, we, uh, we would like to offer you that position that we originally declined you for. And she asked the question, why? And they said, well, you know, we all just really liked you a lot. Everyone in the room that was interviewing you really liked you. And we just didn't necessarily feel like you were a fit and had the credentials or whatever to fill this specific role. But then as we started looking at other applicants and we started looking more, we realized that we hadn't found anyone and we still were thinking about you. So the job's yours if you still want it. And of course she took it and they moved to Silicon Valley. So I loved the end of this book because it was his wife that gave him this opportunity. It was his wife that basically said, hey, I want you to quit your job and to jump out there and to go after this dream that you have and really gave him that gift. And in the end, he was able to give the gift back to his own spouse through everything that he had learned through this entire journey. And so what I love about this is because often in life, the gift that we give to other people is the gift that we're actually giving ourselves in the long run. And it might not play out tomorrow. It might not play out a week later. But for Jia Jang, that's exactly what played out in his life. His wife gave him this amazing gift to go after it. And in the end, his wife ended up receiving the gift that she gave through a job 
in that whole process, Jaw learned just tremendous things, and now he's sharing it with the world. I'm telling you, folks, this book is so flipping good. We definitely did it no justice with our discussion today. When you read this, it is so well written. The stories are hilarious. You're going to learn a ton. I'm just, I was very happy with this book. He also gives people a lot of good takeaways that you can actually use in your personal life. I'll just take the opportunity to mention a few of them briefly here at this point in time in the show. So one of the things that he learned was that you can ask the same question and come up with very different answers. And it's not only a question of how you position yourself and like how you appear and like the tone you're asking it in. It's also acknowledging that a rejection is merely just an opinion. And it's not so much you as asking another person for a favor or a request or what it might be. It's on the receiving end. The rejection that you get is really just an opinion because it might be the mood that they're in just today. It might be the upbringing. It might be their own experiences. Another thing that he talks about, and this is actually a learning outcome that he has from Robert Cialdini, we also interviewed on this podcast, is that whenever you get a no, ask for a smaller favor. And the reason why that works is that people actually don't like to reject you. I mean, it's not in human nature just to keep rejecting people. I mean, very few people are unpleasant people. Very, very often there's a good reason why people would say no. So always have two requests in mind. Like you might have like the big one, you might be rejected, but very often when you ask for a second favor, you'll get a yes. The example he came up with was that he went into a luxury hotel and asked if he could stay in one of the penthouse suites for free for a night. Well, no surprise, he got a no. But using this technique, he actually was permitted to take a nap on one of the beds, which was a hilarious story in itself. But it's just putting the Cialdini psychology into practice. So there's two in particular that I want to talk about. We might have hit a little bit on this during the episode, but he talks about how rejection is human and how most people, when they're rejected, they immediately start looking internally opposed to a more balanced overview of what just happened. In order to assess it correctly, you've got to look at what is the other person's position and why did they feel that way? And then why do I feel the way that I feel? And when you balance out those two sides, you're going to come to a much more credible idea of what actually happened and why the rejection actually took place. So you've got to try to understand the other person's vantage point because you obviously understand yours. So that really goes back to that why question. And that's really important for people to focus on. Stig talked about it being a numbers game. I think that's really important. And then the other part that I kind of talked about there at the end with his wife is this idea of focusing on what you can actually control versus what you can't control. And I think so many people get caught up in the emotional and the way that they feel and they get into, you know, I can't do anything about this. And that's the end of their opinion. I'm never going to be able to do this. And these are all the reasons why I can't ever do it. Instead of really kind of looking at it very analytically and saying, okay, that just happened, but now let me list out all the things that I can actually control to ask this question again that will actually get me to a yes in the future. And then profiling that and listing that out and trying to improve that and trying to optimize it. That's how people are going to be able to get over this fear of rejection is by doing it and you know, going after what they can actually control in life. 
All right, guys, that was all that Preston and I had for this week's episode of the Investors Podcast. We see each other again next week. Thanks for listening to TIP. To access the show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. To get your questions played on the show, go to asktheinvestors.com and win a free subscription to any of our courses on TIP Academy. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making investment decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the TIP Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting. Thank <laughs> you.